Kendra Winchester here with Autumn Privet, and this is the Reading Women podcast where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by talking about books by or about women. And today we have Stephanie Powell Watts with us, who wrote the novel No One Is Coming to Save Us. So welcome, Stephanie. We're really excited to have you on the podcast today. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. As I mentioned a minute ago, when we were kind of talking before we started recording, Kendra and I both really loved your book, so we're really excited to get to talk about it today. Thank you. Yeah, and Autumn in particular really loves The Great Gatsby, and so it's sort of like whenever I see a Virginia Woolf quote on a book, I kind of go crazy and want to read it, and so uh, she was really <laughs> excited to read it and see how you interpreted that, but I think I'm getting a little bit ahead of us, so I'll I'll wait. Yeah, we've been talking about this book for a while, so. <laughs> okay. um, so I guess just to start, um, for those who haven't read No One Is Coming to Save Us Yet, could you tell us a little bit about the book and where the original idea for it came from? Well, um, the book didn't originally start with the whole uh, Gatsby inspiration. It was originally a story about a family in North Carolina that had lost a son and a brother, and I was trying to figure out what uh, what people do when they've lost some important part of themselves, and um, I couldn't I couldn't get a handle on that story. I had such a hard time with it, and I started thinking about that this that the story I was trying to tell was a story about grief, but it was also a story about a, a kind of reconciliation, and that was a return. And I didn't want to write a magical, realistic story or anything like that. I didn't want to write a ghost story. Um, I wanted it to be as realistic as possible. And so I knew in some ways that the character of the of the son and the brother would need to return. And so when I started thinking about that, then I started thinking about the ways that Fitzgerald uh, created this this uh, story and this this mythic story of a return, and so that was the just the kind of jumping off place. It's not a retelling of Gatsby exactly, um, and and or even at all, but it it has some of that flavor, uh, or I hope that it has some of that flavor and that in, initial inspiration that somebody's coming back and someone who was important to you, and, and now what do you do? It definitely has that flavor. <laughs> Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, and I've seen somewhere that someone mentioned like it was like a thematic retelling. So like you were just including like the ideas and um, there's some parallels and different things. So that's really cool. It's sort of like um, the Hogarth Shakespeare retellings. They're not really retellings. They're more like inspired mm-hmm. by. So. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Inspired by not fictional events of a master story writer and who, you know, what kind of, what's your problem trying to retell a story? (laughs) (laughs) But that's too long to say. (laughs) That's what we have interviews for, right? That's right. That's right. So uh, you've written short stories in the past. I think like most, um, you know, novelists, those get their start. And one of your stories even won the Pushcart Prize. So we wanted to ask you a little bit about what was the biggest difference for you between writing short stories and writing this novel? I I think that the the forms are very different, and I think that the forms feel very different to write. I I felt like that in the short story that nothing is lost in in a way. I mean, I I feel like that you're always thinking about how one thing can feed into another. Sort of it's sort of like a puzzle, and in in some interesting ways. But the but the pieces don't always fit. Sometimes they're kind of slanted, but it still creates 
what you hope to be a coherent picture or a coherent narrative. But I didn't feel that way with a with a novel. I felt like that there could be some long ranging ideas and there could be some strands that that didn't exactly have to fit into the whole in a kind of um, in the sort of neatness or unity of effect, you know, that Poe talks about. Um, I, I felt like it didn't have to have that sort of feeling, and that took me a long time. And I still, I mean, I would not claim to have it down, but it took me a long time to to feel out. And I've read hundreds of novels, you know, yeah. I've read a lot, but still writing it, I, it was such, it was so hard to figure out uh, how to carry off the story without having to kind of uh, tie things up. I think you do it very well. And I think that I love, I personally love short stories and I'm now going to go back and read some of your short stories. But I was going to say when I was reading it, you know, the last line of the great Gatsby, you know, this, so we beat on boats against the current quote, um, Mm -hmm. that like kept flashing into my mind, like as I was reading about your characters and what they were doing. And I wondered if like this line in particular kind of shaped how you made the characters. That's a really interesting question. And I guess I would say no, not at least in a way that I that I could access and that I understand, you know. But maybe because I, I think it is one of one of the most beautiful lines in American literature and and I and maybe it, it is thematically so resonant with the characters that I've tried to create, you know, that there's this idea that um you have to keep going and that there will be a lot of bad, nasty stuff go down in your life and in uh, the life of your forebears. But you have to keep going because there is there is a life to come and a generation to come that is re- relying on you to do that. And so I, I felt like there, I, I feel like that that is really thematically a part of what's going on with my characters. But but I, I wasn't actually actively thinking about it. Yeah, and I can definitely think you can see that theme um especially in the women in the story, because it's, you know, there's a lot of parallels Mm -hmm. between the relationships between um, the women and their men, you might say. And so you were talking about um, in some of your other interviews that you wanted to kind of retell it. And you mentioned originally where it came from, the black family in North Carolina. Um, But then you wanted to focus more on women. And of course, here at The Reading Woman, I got really excited when I heard that because I'm all for focusing more on women. (laughs) But how did you figure um, what the novel would look like? And I guess just like your process, because that you already mentioned, you know, that you would work on a different draft. um, And then when you brought in some of the Gatsby themes, that's really when it started taking off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really felt like I mean, um, and I didn't I didn't actually know this until back to the novel was over. But you know, Gatsby flopped when it first came out. It was a complete mm-hmm. dud. Um, Fitzgerald was uh, heartbroken about it, and one of the letters that he wrote to his editor, to Max Perkins, was maybe I should have focused on the women. You know, <laughs> and I mean, so I, 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 I would like to be able to say that I knew that going into my novel, but I didn't. I, I found that out after my novel was done. <laughs> but I really did want to to showcase uh, a life of the women. You know, they're they're fifty um, percent in in some estimates of African Americans left the South in the in different waves of the Great Migration. 
But that, and so that's a huge number of people who went to cities trying to find jobs and trying to find respectability, trying to find a dignity that they couldn't find and that they did not have in southern states. But that means that half of the people stayed. And so I'm really interested in, I'm, I'm interested in all of those people, but I'm particularly interested in the people who stayed and who had to figure out, okay, if this is my home, how do I make it feel like home and seem like home for me? And so mm-hmm. that I wanted to, um, particularly with the women, I wanted to, to show how they go about trying to create home in what is a hostile environment in so many ways. And, and the women that I chose, they, um, they have a number of obstacles and struggles that they have to get over and through before they even get to their houses with their, with their um, different kinds of relationship issues. And so that's what I wanted to, to showcase in this novel, the, you know, the people. I, I love the journey story, but I also like the visitation story, and I want it to be about the people who, um, who stayed behind and, and what kind of lives they built. And I will say, like, it is amazing. Like, you don't realize how many books you read that don't feature women until you read one that Mm -hmm. does. And you go, oh, wow, this is so refreshing. This is what I've been missing all my life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really true. And yeah, I totally felt that way reading this. I'm like, this is so cool. Like all these women. And I agree. Like as much as like as much as Gatsby has a soft spot in my heart, like the Mm -hmm. absence of the women is a huge problem that, you know, and other things. There's lots of problems with that. But yeah, so it was cool to read a book that featured women so prominently. And what you're saying about home too, that was one thing that I noticed as I was reading is that how home plays a role in the novel, um, both obviously literally, because like JJ's building this house and, you know, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of talk about Sylvia's house. And then of course, figuratively and metaphorically, Home is a theme that's in a lot of literature that's like set in the South in particular. But I guess my question mm-hmm. was like, so for you, like what makes home such an important theme in literature specifically set in the South? And like, what does it mean to you personally? Uh, I had a, I had a lot of things going on in my head thinking about home. You know, my, my parents are, uh, I just, they're about retirement age, just over retirement age. And they never went to school with white people. They have a very different experience in the same landscape that I had. And so, you know, it, you know, within the same household, you know, you think about our, um, our social and our political history and think, you know, 250 years of slavery and 80 years of Jim Crow and only about 60 years of integration. And so there are people alive who saw a whole lot of crazy mess, you know, who are, who are living in the same household. And so how do you negotiate those, those sorts of experiences? And, and I also was thinking about my, my own, I have a seven-year-old and my own child, and what do I pass on to him? What do I tell him about the life that I knew and I experienced that that was post-Jim Crow but and post-segregation, but also a very difficult kind of racial landscape? And so I wanted to talk about that. And so, and how do you how do you develop a home base in that kind of in that kind of atmosphere? But also where where I'm from, and also all around the country. There's a lot of, of new poverty because people don't have the the basic industry that was fueling these small these small towns, often small towns, and that has happened in a big way in the towns 
uh, where I lived as a kid and the furniture industry that will, that once was the place where you could get a job no matter what. You could get a job to take care of yourself and have a home for yourself and, you know, get a car. It might not be the best home, might not be the best car, but you could do that. You could educate your children, things like that. That Those jobs are gone. And we've seen that all over the country. And so if if home if home is not the place where the furniture is and home is not the place where you feel like you are um, a full citizen, then what in the world is it? You know, so I wanted to explore those those kind of things in the through these these characters, especially the women characters. That's that's so true. And the new poverty in particular is something that I feel like people don't really talk about. Like your book is the first book that I read that actually like tackles it. I live in Atlanta and I previously lived mm-hmm. in South Carolina and in South Carolina in particular, that kind of thing is everywhere. Right. Yeah. And, you know, these were not dream jobs, but they were, but they were jobs, you know, and um, right. I know, I know people, I w- did a reading in uh, North Carolina not too long ago. And this woman told me that she worked in the finishing room at a furniture factory. And this is the room where you dye individual pieces, I guess dye is not the right word, stain individual pieces of furniture. And so um, some people wear gloves to protect their fingers, but uh, it's, it's a much more difficult process if you wear the gloves. So most people don't. And so their fingers are all stained with this, with this sort of, it, it's not a good job. Um, and it's a job that you work up from and nobody wants it. And she was telling me that she doesn't have it anymore. And, you know, and a job that she really, you know, it would not have been her choice, but it, it gave her a lot in the way of making, of making her feel like she's, she's a citizen of the place and a citizen of the world. And, um, and she doesn't have it anymore. That is a, that is a real, a real issue. And it's, um, and it's a nationwide one. Yeah. It's it, where I grew up was a factory town. And uh, over the last, I don't know, 50 years, all their, their jobs have been going out as well and you've seen the deterioration Mm -hmm. so one of the things I did want to ask you when you focus on women I appreciated the wide range of um, women's issues that you covered in in such a like a single family setting and especially with Ava Um, Ava is experiencing infertility and she joins this online forum um, and I listened to the audiobook uh, version of your Mm -hmm. of your book and the narrator did such a great job with the different voices um, in the forum, um, <laughs> yeah. because the women, uh, for those who haven't read it, the women all have different opinions, and they kind of react to being uh, wanting to be moms very differently. What really inspired you to tackle such a difficult topic? And I feel like you have done it in such a well-rounded way. Ava is neither a tragic figure nor is all of her sol- problems solved by a child. So, what was your process with that in the novel? Oh, thank you. I, I was really worried about that because. So many novels or and so many stories turn on this kind of marriage plot or baby plot, and I really didn't want it to feel like that she's okay. She's done now, and everything's good now because she may um, may be able or may have a child. And I and um, I have one seven year old. He was a very long time in coming. Had many. Um, many issues of, with his getting to me, and I, I always, I always hoped that he was coming. I knew he was going to come one way or the other. Uh, I always hoped that he would, and I had a, a lot of the experiences that that Ava had. So I, I felt 
I felt very, very much for her. <laughs> you know, I really, I really wanted every good thing for her. And I started thinking about when I was in the middle of this, this whole infertility thing that, um, what, you know, what if this doesn't work out? What if you spend this time, this money and all of this anxiety and it doesn't work out because this, that's what happens. It happens a lot. And, you know, what, what do you do then? And how do you, how do you handle it? And so that was, that was one of the things I wanted to work through with it, with a character. And one of the things that I really needed to work through personally too, what do you, what do you do when something that you really want is not available? I, I've seen, um, I've seen a lot of stories about disappointment, about real disappointment and people trying to work through that. Now, and grief, it is a, it is a kind of grief, but it's, it's short of grief and it, it's, and it's more nuanced than just grief. So I wanted to work through that too. One of the things I love most about this podcast is the fact that we find books like yours and we get to talk about them because like you said, you know, so many of the books that I read growing up, you know, hinged on a marriage plot of some kind mm-hmm. or, you know, a pregnancy mm-hmm. plot of some kind. When you get older and you make friends and you get out into the world, you realize, like, it doesn't always happen that way. And if it does happen, that doesn't mean it's happily ever after either. Right. It doesn't solve the problem. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I, I want to honor both things, right? I mean, I want to feel like, I want people to feel like marriage is important. Have, finding someone that you, that you love is important, whether it's in a marriage or whether it's in a committed relationship, whatever. And that, that is an important part of life. And I don't mean to diminish that. And having a, a child, and I know in my life has been one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And so I don't mean to, to say that those things aren't important because I really feel like they are, but they are, there are parts of your life and they're in the parts of, of every woman's life that you choose one way or another, or that you have to negotiate. And so I think sometimes that they're so large, they become the whole life, you know, uh, at least in, you know, popular culture, popular literature. Right. And I did appreciate that at the end, and this isn't too much of a spoiler, but that Ava and Henry are still friends and yes. that was just so nice. I'm like, oh, I'm so happy that they're able to be like adults about this and like, you know, work through this. And it was just, it made me happy. Oh, good. Oh, good. I'm glad. You know, I had such a hard time with this. I, I wasn't sure how much of it um, that I could that I could do, but I I really wanted these these characters to come to a, um, a kind of maturity, and especially Henry has had so many um, so much immaturity in his relationships, and and not recognizing that even the things that would be better for his wife and and better for his relationship would also just be better for him and for him to to have a mature moment. I really wanted that for him. I I like him despite being kind of a dog (laughs) yeah he is like you you feel that charm um that ava must be experiencing because even though we discover stuff has happened and everything i I still (laughs) liked him and i couldn't figure out exactly why (laughs) me too i I always like henry and i just i just feel like if you're you know i want to show characters in their um in the way that that someone who knows them but also loves them might show them, you know, right? But, uh, <laughs> and not 
using their bad behavior or their or their bad thinking, but say, you know, maybe there's maybe there's another kind of kind of way to look at this person and I don't know I don't know. I just I'm I'm hoping that, that people will at least try to look at me that way when I that's <laughs> a bad behavior, you know. It's like show me the same kindness please, you know. <laughs> right, right. I'm now going on a rabbit trail, but hopefully you don't mind. Sylvia, I loved Sylvia too. Like she was just such a good mother kind of figure. And I just really enjoyed like reading her character and learning about her and her relationship with Ava. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, you know, Sylvia, she, um, she kind of breaks my heart. I mean, I feel like she's been in such a static place into this, you know, large tragedy in her life. And, and I, I, I want good things for her. She's not a woman of the 21st century. So that's a hard thing to try to propel yourself into another, another time when you counted on living in a, in a certain way. I love her. I really, I really want, I really feel for her. She wants to grow even if, even if she doesn't realize it. I, yeah, I got that feeling. Oh, good, good. So we could probably talk about the novel for a lot lot longer, um, but we only have so much time. So we're going to transition a little bit, and we wanted to ask you about some of the inspirations in your life. So obviously here at Reading Women, we're all about female voices um, in literature. So who have been some of your favorite um, writers uh, that you have read, either like in the past or present or really whatever you want to talk about? Um, I have a, a number of... of uh of kind of uh, literary mothers. I mean, uh, I read Beloved in when probably 1990, so it was a few years after it was actually published, and I felt like this it, it just it just, you know, blew my top of my head off, you know, the the idea that somebody could write about this and that you could combine all of these elements of this kind of classic ghost story, this lyricism, the this story about about slavery and pull no punches. And I just, you know, it was one of those, those moments where you feel like things are possible in literature that I didn't even realize. The, uh, another moment I had was, um, I read, uh, white teeth and Zadie Smith's white teeth. And I used to be, uh, it was, it was a transformative story for me. And one of the things that really, that really moved me about it is I used to be a Jehovah's witness and um, one of the characters, her her mother, or I think it's a grandmother actually, is a Jehovah's Witness, and she was writing about that. And you know, there there's sometimes you just need somebody who um, who looks like you, who sounds like you, who has the same kinds of concerns that you do, to just give you permission to do the thing you think is uh, is possible, or that you didn't even know was possible sometimes. And so uh, those two stories really just floored me, and I really started writing the the story that you um, that you mentioned that was the pushcart story is one that I wrote immediately after I um, after I read White Teeth, and it was about uh, being a Jehovah's Witness and being going door to door and trying to do that work and feel feeling conflicted about it and wanting another kind of life or thinking that that another kind of life might not even be possible. And it came directly from reading that, um, that novel. It's so good. 
White tea. I read it for the. I read it for the first time, um, only like a year ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. It floored me. Like I'd never read anything like it in my life. It's amazing. Mhm. Me too. Me too. There's a great. There's a great collection. Um, Leslie Arima's collection is I love, and I always get the title wrong. Um, uh, what it means when a man falls from the sky. Oh yeah. It's it's a beautiful collection. Um, Eleanor Henderson has a novel called 12 Miles Straight. That's also really lovely. And someone that, that most people will name, most people will recognize, Alice McDermott, has got this great new book called The Ninth Hour. I'm reading that right now. That's really cool. Are you? <laughs> I am. What do you think? Um, I, just, I just started, and I've never read her before, and I'm just like, getting sucked into this like era Brooklyn Irishy world. Um, I really like it so far. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Oh my goodness, that's so cool. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. I I think she's she's so wonderful, and she does the quiet moment better than anybody. You know this this moment. And she'll she'll say she'll she'll show this character, and she'll have something in the character's head or something that the character sees, and you know that's just really devastating. <laughs> just she's she's a pro and she and this novel is is really great and i mean you know if you ask me hey you want to read a novel about nuns in um you know in brooklyn you know <laughs> i'd probably say well let me let me give that a few but do it it's good it's really good <laughs> no it's it's fun that you mentioned several of those books um we either talked about this year or um are currently reading different things uh, but one of the first um times i heard about your book was when it was one of the um well-read black girl selections oh yeah for the summer because i basically anything they recommend i just put on my list and i and i read it um (laughs) and so that's why i also read uh what it means when a man falls um from the sky um okay oh great that's one of my that's my my personal favorite um websites they just have the best recommendations ever really yeah i think so too well, we always ask the authors that we interview about what they're working on next. And it's okay if you have, like, don't want to jinx what you're working on or something like that. <laughs> but um, we totally get that. If you have anything to share about what you're working on right now, we'd love to hear it. Um, I am working on something. It's, um, it's uh, you know, I'm not quite sure exactly what it is yet, but I know that it involves a a woman who um, was an important part of this other woman's life in, in North Carolina, and she visited her periodically uh, over the years, and she and she disappears. And this this woman has a daughter, and it's the the daughter decides at some point to try to find out what happened to this woman. And so because the mother the mother sees the woman who was the visitor and in some ways she is the embodiment of the life that she could have had had she not had the child. So she sets out to find her at at some point later on in the story. So that's that's all I know so far. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds sounds almost like one of those um those choice books, like you make one choice and your life goes one way, <laughs> life goes the other way. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we will absolutely be looking for that and are excited to see like what you have going on next, but we're going to sit for a while and just enjoy the books that you've already written and appreciate it and try to get as many people as we can to read it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. That's very nice. Thank you. I appreciate it. 
So that's our show. We thank you so much to Stephanie Powell Watts for talking to us about her book, No One Is Coming to Save Us, and it is out right now by Echo. So as we said, go buy a copy right now. You won't regret it. And you can find more about her and her work on her website, which is stephaniepowellwatts.com, and we will have a link for it in our show notes. So that way you can just go and find it really easily. And then, of course, you can find me, Autumn Privet, on Twitter and Instagram and other places at Autumn Privet. And you can find Kendra at KD Winchester. And thank you all so much for listening to the Reading Women podcast. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. It helps us share book love everywhere. So thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time.